y'all doing today? Well, I uh, want to just mention real quickly that you probably noticed that our Wi-Fi is down if you tried to access your, your app or anything like that. We had apparently an accident out here, I think it was Friday, and it took out power all through here. I understand Walmart got knocked out. I mean, that's catastrophic right there. Um, so anyway, but thankfully we got our power back on, but uh, we're still having some trouble with our Wi-Fi, so we'll get that up and running as soon as we can. Uh, and then also wanted to mention, pre- please be praying for Leslie Harder. Leslie was at the Walk for Life, and she got a little, uh, I think, dehydrated, and, and she uh, fainted and hit her head, and uh, she's been here, and there she is. Wave to everybody, Leslie. So <laughs> she got a concussion. Can't even believe she's here today, but God's good, amen? Prayed over here, and I want to thank everyone that prayed for her, and of course, she's the lady over here that signs while we worship, and very faithful to do that. So um, keep praying for her her healing, that all that uh, residual uh, effect there will be completely gone. God bless her. All right, well, we are continuing to move forward in this series and very excited about this series. Going through the book of Hebrews called What Happened Next and when our fourth week of this study, what we have learned so far and what the teacher has been telling us. He's spoken to his group of, of listeners, these Jewish men who have been wavering in their faith. He's been speaking to them. And what we've learned so far, what his passion has been is one, focus. Focus on Jesus. When it comes to all those things in life, when it's easy to get distracted by the struggles, by the questions, by what we hear people saying, what we read, it's easy for us to get distracted. He told them, focus. Then his other exhortation was to believe. Unbelief is a big problem for for us, and it will shut down faith in our life. It will shut down the work of God, even though his his works are without repentance, his call is without repentance, but we certainly can slow it down through our unbelief. So the writer of Hebrews is telling these Christians, these Jewish men who converted Jews, uh, believe, continue to believe in what Jesus has done for you. You know what he did, continue to believe, and then rest, rest in the work of Jesus, We've learned that, that what Jesus did, what, he is, what has been symbolized, what we've all enjoyed, we need to rest from our work, rest from our attempt to try to earn the favor of God, and just rest in the work of Jesus. Just rest in that, that wonderful forgiveness, that wonderful healing, just receive it. You know, nothing else we need to do but to enjoy. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he'll only get back up again on the day that he comes to get us. And then fourthly, we learned last week about security, that we're secure in the work of Christ, that he, what he did on the cross for us is, is holding us fast, and we need to put our hope in that, not only in resting in that, but continuing to rest in the security of knowing that what Jesus did was effectual. In other words, it will not change. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. And so we enjoy that. And so the teacher is embedding in, in, in uh, exhorting us. Now, he's going to go a little deeper today in week four. We're going to talk about a new and better covenant. As an example, he continues to use their history. He continues to use their culture. He continues to use it, their experience as being Jews, the, the great idiom, the great uh, uh, story of their lives played out over hundreds and hundreds of years was the story of redemption. And so he is now going to show them that God made an agreement, that God made a call, that all that, that they're experiencing, all that they are seeing was determined, was planned out, was purposed by God from the beginning. 
And so we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 8, where it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And this is a quote from the book of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not abide by my covenant and I disregarded them, declares the Lord. He's saying, so that, that covenant didn't work. We'll talk about that. He says, but I got a new covenant coming. He says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and inscribe them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer, no longer will each one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquities, and here's the, this is the key, for I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. The writer of Hebrews is taking Jeremiah, and he's applying it to our times to say, this is now. That this new covenant that he was promising is now the covenant they're enjoying. Well, let's look at that this morning. There are two covenants. Now, the, the, the whole Bible is actually a string of covenants. And what is a covenant? It is an agreement from God. It is God approaching us and saying, look, I know you're broken. I know you ruined this by throwing away my experience, my, my, my favor, my fellowship with you in the quietness of the garden, it got thrown away. You gave it to the enemy, but I'm going to win you back. And God determined he was going to do that from the very beginning. And his judgment that he spoke over Satan, the serpent, he said, man's offspring will crush your head, yet you'll strike his heel. He was prophesying of the time that would come when the fruit of, of, of man of course, Jesus Christ, all man, fully God, would come and would crush the head of the enemy in what he did on the cross. But of course, his strike of his heel would be the crucifixion. So God said, look, I'm going to fix this from the beginning. He said, I'm going to fix this. And this was an agreement. And God took animals and he, and he uh, put them to death and he clothed Adam and Eve with animal skin, which was the first sacrifice. God did it for them. So it was through blood that God continued to fellowship with them. So these agreements, these covenants as we call them, are initiated by God to get us back. And what we find is the whole Old Testament in Into the New is a series of these wonderful moves by God, systematically, progressively, little bit by little bit, God winning us back. So we have what is called the Old Covenant, of course, and as he refers to it here, we got to understand that these covenants, again, are a fulfillment of God's promise. And so I wanted to share with you out of Psalm 103 what is really the heart of God when it comes to these covenants, because I find this so beautiful. I was just reading this the other day, so I'm going to read this. This is the heart of God concerning all that he is a, he's attempting to do with us. Check this out. It says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives your sin, sins and heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, this is in the Old Testament, but it is a picture of what, exactly what God wants to have. For. He wants to give us 
He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be restored. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. Talk about that in a second. His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever, prophesying of what was to come. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, even in the Old Testament, he never did, even much more so in the New. He does not repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place is remembered no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with the children's children and with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So God says, look, this is my heart. I'm ready to pour this out upon the people of the earth. But I'm going to make a covenant, an agreement with you. That makes sense that God would approach us and say, look, I want to make an agreement. I want, to, I, I want you to agree to this fellowship. I want you to do something. So he approaches Ad, uh, Abraham, and he says to Abraham, Abraham, if you will believe me, if you will acknowledge me, I will give you all of this land. Notice that this covenant is so simple for Abraham, but Abraham was blessed. And the book of Romans tells us that Abraham is, is, is what his belief was credited to him as righteousness. And this faith, he sets the groundwork that how we connect to our heavenly father is through one word, faith. And Abraham just simply believed. How did he sign the contract, the agreement that God was making? He believed it. That's all he had to do. He came and said, all this land that you see now, Abraham, I will give to you if you will just follow me. Abraham says, deal. Done. He says, as a matter of fact, he says, you don't have any children now. He says, you're going to have a child. It's going to be miraculous. And out of your loins, out of your children, will I raise up a people. And those people will come and take, take that. And as a matter of fact, he goes even further. He says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham's agreement, we all got to thank Abraham. When you get to heaven, go up to Abraham and thank him. Because he believed. He went into agreement. He struck the deal with his God who approached him. So this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Look, I want you to understand that your God has been for you from the beginning. And I just read Psalm 73, and we get the heart of God. We get the heart of the Father. He wants to bless us. He wants to be in fellowship with us. He wants to do everything he can to win us back. So then he approaches Moses. Moses then is the one that God uses to bring a new covenant what we call the covenant of works. And God sets this up with a very particular reason, a very wonderful reason. It's hard for us to completely understand now. But again, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to them to say, to, these, to the, the, the Jewish uh, uh, listeners, to those who are in his audience and us today, he said, look, Moses was very, very important. He was very important to set up this covenant of works, even though it failed. Even though it set you guys up to be failures. 
So he goes and he creates this covenant word. He says, if you do all, and this is the, the essence of what the covenant was. If you do, notice it starts with if, if you do all that I command, you will be blessed and live. You'll be blessed in the country, blessed in this city. Your children will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed. Bless, bless, bless. However, if you do not, you will not be blessed. You'll not be blessed in this city. You'll not be blessed in the country. You'll not be blessed with your finances. You'll, you're, the fruit of your womb will be cursed. It'll be a curse in its place if you do not follow. It's, it's, it's simple. If you do, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you won't. This is what is called the covenant of works. This is the deal that God made with Moses and all the people. Moses goes up on the mountain. God gives him what? Ten commandments. He gives him what is called the moral law. The moral law is presented to them. They, uh, they understand it in its essence because they have always known it in its core, but now God says, look, I'm going to write it down for you. And you're going to understand what sin is. You're going to understand it to the nth degree what sin is. Right down to how you treat your neighbor, what you do with your physical body how you treat your body with sex, how you treat your body with cleanliness, how you treat others with kindness, how you build a family, how you raise your family, how you work with your crops, how you honor God. He lets them know exactly what the moral law is to the nth degree. And so it is made plain for them. And again, it's a covenant of works. If you do all that I tell you to do, you will be blessed. Now notice it just say, you know, uh, you know, we'll go with this halfway deal. If you can just make, well, three quarters. If you're just three quarters good, then I'll bless you. No, that's not the deal. If you do all that I tell you to do, you will be blessed. Great covenant. Hard to carry it out. Because initially the people begin to embrace it and you say, yes, yes, we will do all that God tells us to do, only to find out they can't. Because in the course of time, with the covenant of words, works, what is displayed, what is made clear and evident is that we are broken. Utterly broken. That sin, it goes much deeper than just what words comes out of our mouth. Sin is not just an awareness of what is bad and good. Sin is hardwired into you and Sin is an infection. It's a virus in every human being the moment they come out of the womb. Cursed because of this world. God's, so you may say that's kind of cruel. No, no, this was, this, was, this was actually beautiful. This was incredibly wise on God's part because God was faithful. God was just. God, through his love, we've already learned from Psalm 73 that God is, this is all motivated through love. He, what he's trying to show, what he showed Israel was, you need a savior. You need more than just the law. You need one to come and save you. You need one to come and do this for you because you're incapable. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to show them, he said, look, you guys are children of the covenant of works. You are the children. You, you know you need to dip back into your history to understand. You should not forget what this is all about, why Jesus had to come, why Jesus, what Jesus did, and it's important, it's an impact, and what it actually does to your very DNA. We'll get to that. So regarding this covenant of works, 
We know it's introduced. It's called the law. It's a system of repair of the human condition created through the shedding of blood. So God says, so this is interesting. He knows they're going to fail and because they fail right off the bat. And he goes, you know what? Okay, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to create a ceremonial system because I know you're not going to be able to do this. That will be the shedding of blood for every sin you commit. Goats, bulls, pigeons, a very, very distinct system. So not only an nth degree system of how, what sin was, but an nth degree system and how to fix it. But what we need to understand with the whole system of this very bloody mess that God created from them was that one word, blood. Because what they were to come away from with this analogy, with this experience, is that there was no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so God created, again, what the Hebrews, the Hebrew writer calls it an imperfect system, but it was purely out of God's love and compassion. You see what's going on here? God is approaching us and making allowances for us. He's lovingly taking us from step to step to say, look, it's almost like trying to teach a child the very complex things. And that's what he had to do. He had to take us like children to teach us. Okay, son, this is, what, this is bad. This is good. Do you understand now? Yes, sir. And when, you know, you're going to get a spanking when you do what's bad. Really? Yeah, it's going to hurt. So I'm going to teach you that to want good. But in the wanting of good, you're going to find that you can't do it. And so what, is, what, it, what it happens is it's, it's almost like the child trying to work with a tool, and he gets frustrated, and he throws it down on the ground, and the father looks at him, and he goes, I'm trying to teach you that you need me. I need to teach you. I need to show you. I love you. I'm for you. So we see this being displayed throughout this system. This is God reaching for his people, loving them, teaching them. See, people often try to go back in the Old Testament and try, take modern thinking and try to figure out the anachronism of thought, to try to, 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 to figure out just how human activity was. They didn't think like us. They were children in many respects as it concerned who God was, how they related to him, why were they blessed and why they weren't blessed. God had to show them, and he taught them. So the writer of Hebrews is saying the law itself was perfect. The problem was you. The problem's us. We can't do it. So God set up this covenant to teach them that they needed him, to teach them that there would not be forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But you know, this shedding of blood, and this is critical, this shedding of blood was a replacement. Because there is no shedding of blood. There, I mean, I'm sorry, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But you know what's really, really key for us to understand? It's not really the animal's blood that's required. It's our blood. Because sin is death. Who is death? My death. When I sin, I deserve death. When you sin, you deserve death. I know it's hard. It's hard for us to understand. But that's what Galatians teaches us. Sin is death. And so God is saying, look, 
I'm not going to put you to death. He, and, he, and he even showed them. He said, tell the people not come near a mountain. Don't tell them to get near my presence because they will die instantaneously. Don't tell them to touch the, don't let them touch the, the, uh, the temple. Do not do, I mean, even when they offered the strange fire, the sons of Aaron, they walked up and they did it out of, out of the procedure, out of protocol, dead. That's how sensitive we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about, what real holiness is. Ultimately, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, and it's really our blood that's required. But God says, you know what? I'm not going to make you pay. You'll kill the animal. And, of course, we don't think in those terms, but, I mean, the little lamb, like we shared on Easter, the thought of, of Josiah looking at the little lamb having to die for their sins, that, that's heartbreaking. The thought that somebody had to die. Something had to be punished. Someone has to pay. And so through this old covenant, God made that clear, that very, very important point. Someone has to pay. Blood must be shed. But thank God he didn't put him to death. He said, you have a ceremonial system. Now this sets up what is now coming into what is the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 4, it says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are to come, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. What he's saying is, it worked, but it didn't work. Here's the deal. That sacrificial system didn't really change your heart. It didn't, and that's important for us to understand in the light of the new agreement we got coming. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered for the worshipers had been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins? Ah, now we know what the, what the sacrificial system never really did. It never really took away guilt. Never did. Because even though we know the sacrificial system demands blood, inside we know it's really our blood that's required. It never fully sets us free. That old covenant, that old sacrificial system, incomplete. Perfect law, as the Bible tells us, imperfect system. And why was it imperfect? Us. Us. Perfect God, perfect law, imperfect people. Otherwise, would not have uh, had to keep doing it, uh, verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's an impossible, it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. This is what the writer is saying. He's saying, look, this was your system. It didn't work. So it set them up for something greater. It set them up. God could have just said, look at you. You're worthless. You'll never meet up. You'll never be able to accomplish this, so I'm just going to destroy you. But Psalm 73 keeps coming to mind. I love you. I'm for you. I want to save you. You're my kids. You're made like me. I want to save every one of you. I want to heal your bodies. I want to restore you. I want to do. And so he takes his next move. He wants to make another agreement, another covenant, and so this is what it looks like. God approaches man by making good on his prophetic promises. And this is how he does it. He sends his own son. 
Hebrews chapter 10, 5 through 7 says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He's saying this old system, incomplete. You didn't really want that. But a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So Jesus answers the call on our behalf. A human is going to have to die. You and I are going to have to die. Someone has to pay. But what you need to understand is that your God, and my God loved us so much, is he said, you don't have to do it. My son will rise up, and he'll die on your behalf. He will be the second Adam. As Adam failed, the second Adam will come and succeed. He will come and offer himself in two fashions. One, he'll be completely obedient to the Father. Two, he will give of himself to die for you and me. Blood was required. It was offered. Folks, do you see, what I'm, you see what's, what's going on here? He died for you and me. He took our punishment. He took what we were supposed to have, what we deserved. And you may say, sitting in your seat, what are you talking about? I don't deserve that. If you don't understand the corruption of your own heart yet, you're just getting started, baby. You know, I am never surprised at my own corruption. I mean, yes, I am. I actually, let me reword that. I am surprised. Sometimes when I realize all that I know, all that I do, yet there's another layer of corruptedness that comes up in my heart, another judgment, another, you know, another prejudice, another, an, another yucky thing that comes out of my heart. And, and, and it's just like, where did that come from? Folks, we're broken. We exude sin. As a matter of fact, as I look at it and I look at the character, and as I look at, you know, my own life as a pastor and as a leader, I'm reminded from my own pastor, you know, at times when I, when I feel alone or cut off or, or criticized, you know, my pastor will tell me, so David, even Jesus didn't have anybody at the end. Whew. Even John took off. So much for friendship. So much for loyalty. So much for humility. Folks, we need a Savior. We need him bad. We need him bad. And God saw what we needed. He absolutely saw it. He knew what it was going to take. And he loved us so much that his son rises up and says, Father, I'll do it. I will go die for them. I will shed my blood for their forgiveness. What is required, what is demanded, because now what we really have going in this covenant, and this is what I want to make sure you understand, is what he's sharing with them when it comes to this new covenant. This is the new covenant. This is how it works. God comes to you, me, you and me. The contract is already written. The contract is already paid for. The, the details of which, the, 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 all the rights and privileges thereof, right, with a contract, are already fulfilled. It's already paid for. It's like getting a new home and somebody calls you and says, hey, look, uh, I got a, a house for you. I can't make the payments on that. They've already been paid. We just need you to come down and do what? Sign for it. That's exactly what this new covenant is. 
That's what this contract that's being offered to you and me, to every human being on the earth. God wrote the contract. God put, God uh, uh, fulfilled everyone. I got it written in the notes here. God, this is the deal God is making with us in the new covenant. I will write the contract. I will pay the price. I will provide the sacrifice. I will assure its perfection and seal the deal forever. Sign here. That's what we're talking about here. That is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them. He's saying, look, you guys, you're trying to go back to this old covenant of works. You want that when you've got this? You want to go live in a broken down shed or do you want to live in a palace that's free? Do you want to receive his complete forgiveness provided for through and through? It's called the covenant of grace, not the covenant of works. And why do they call it the covenant of grace? I'll tell you why they call it the covenant of grace. Because God, and what is grace? God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. So when we think in terms of what this covenant is, when we think in terms of what it is this salvation really is, why would any human being reject it? Why? It just shows you how deep corruption goes. It just goes, shows you. You know, watching videos of, of atheists as, as they make their pleas, as they talk about it passionately that there is no God, that we're just going just gonna to rot away, it, it, it just breaks your heart. It just breaks your heart when, you, when they, they don't understand what the simplicity of the gospel is. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. In the prophecy from Jeremiah, what he said, what he say? For I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more talk about fixing us talk about healing and taking away the guilt blood of bulls goats and pigeons could never do that but what jesus did once for all first john 1 9 tells us exactly how it works if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us of all unrighteousness over and over notice what's jesus is not being re-sacrificed by the way so if you've got a, a crucifix with Jesus on it, don't do that. He's not being re-crucified. It's not what takes place. He already did that. That's done. Sin is not your problem. It's belief in his forgiveness is what your problem is. It's application of what these things represent is the challenge. Because when the corruption comes up, what do we do with it? We bring it to him. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my judgment. I ask you to forgive me for my faithlessness. Lord, I for, forgive me for my betrayal, for my disloyalty. Lord, forgive me for my anger, for my lust, for my pride. Faithful and just. Why? Because God feels like it today? No, because of the covenant. Because of what he has already done. What is already fashioned. See, that's the thing. You know, as I've, you've heard me share from this pulpit before, it's just like a person finally waking up one morning saying, you know, I don't really think, think I really own this house. I don't feel like I own it anymore. So I'm going to leave. What are you doing? No, no, I don't feel like I own it anymore. Get back here. It's your house. No, but I don't feel like it. What is the, excuse me, <clears throat> what is the problem here? faith, belief, acceptance, receiving the free gift. Our problem is not our sin. 
Our problem is our belief and our understanding what Jesus did for us, the effectiveness, the security that comes. This is the message of the Hebrew writer to these men. Why would you ever want to go back to an incomplete, imperfect system when what Jesus did for you is perfect? Isaiah 53, four through six. Surely he took up our pain and our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep, every one of you, every one of us. We all like sheep have gone astray, and we still do. Each of us has turned to our own way, selfishness. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God knew the Israelites could never fulfill it. He knew they were broken. He knew what it was going to take. But he needed them to understand they needed it. And my friends, we still need to remember we need it. It's a sad ordeal. I wish the day I got saved, I was convinced. I have to be reminded that he loves me. I have to be reminded that what he did on the cross is perfect. I have to apply it. See, the shelf life of truth in these puny little brains that are wonderful things, but they seem to lose truth pretty quickly. I don't know if you've noticed the same, but we can forget what it is that Jesus died for us, which is why he will later say in this book, do not give up or forsake the gathering of the saints. That's why we need one another. That's why we have to be together. That's why we have to look into each other's eyes. Brother, I know you're struggling, but you are forgiven. I know you're battling this thing. I know you feel alone, but you're never alone. We need each other. Because we are still human. We have not been offered up to perfection completely yet. When we die, we will, and it's over. Amen. But in this life, we have to continue to read the Bible on a daily basis. We have to remind us ourselves of the covenant. We have to remind us just as God had to remind these guys, these wonderful men. He said, look, why are we going over this again? Why are we talking about the forgiveness of sins? Why are we doing this? Except we're human. Except we need it. Which is why we have pastors and preachers. Which is why we want to worship which is why we want to read our Bible every day, which is why we want to keep the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life, which is why we are believers, which is why we must resist what we see going on out there and not sacrifice what we know to be true to the altar of selfishness and narcissism and this one-world crud that they're trying to create for you and me. Christian, wake up. But it starts with knowing that his love will never fail. It hasn't failed. How could it? You're secure in his love. You need to rest from your work. You need to believe and you need to focus on your Savior. And this is why. Jesus said this. This is the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Isn't it interesting? He knew the covenant he was making. He knew that he was the surety 
of a better covenant. He was the one whose blood would be shed that would be signed. He'd be the one that created a new whole chapter in the book of life, receiving humans by the millions. So what does this mean for you and me today? Well, I've only got a few minutes to close this, but so I'll go through it quickly. What it means for us today is this, that God has made good on his promise, that God is faithful, that God's love was seen from the beginning. Don't read the Old Testament and get lost in the minutia of God's judgment. God is just. Notice that's in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. He's faithful and what? Just. He forgives your sin out of justice because it's been paid for. He doesn't forgive your sin because he's wanting you to get over on one. He doesn't forgive your sin because you've been really good or you look really nice. He forgives you because he's a just God and your sins have been paid for. Faithful, because God's good to his word. Just, because God is God. And what God says is true. End of story. Number two, the gospel is the best deal that man has ever been offered and will ever get. It's finished. There's no new contract coming. It's perfect. Number three, he has justified us through faith, and he will sanctify us through the same faith. In other words, in justification, we receive our salvation com communicated by the judge of heaven, not guilty. Sanctification is the ongoing change, and the problem is we get those all mixed up. When God is trying to change us, we think we're getting resaved. No, you're just getting changed. I don't walk out to my son. Son, I'll tell you what, um, you're going to have to earn your right to be my son today. So you better be good. Foolishness. He's my son. He'll always be my son. What he needs to prove to me is a willing spirit. What he needs to prove to me is he's willing to listen and to change and to grow and to mature and want to be my son. That's how it works. Number four, the blood of Jesus, when claimed, is able to cleanse us and to heal us, to transform us, to renew us. How deep does the corruption go? Well, I shared that early, pretty deep. Only humility can take us where the real healing goes. Nothing you do, nothing you accomplish. Your only character, your only thing you need to offer to this deal is your humility. That's it. And after as many years that I've been doing this, and as I watch men and women, as they approach the whole concept of ministry, and as I watch you and how you treat ministers and how sometimes, please don't do that. Don't pe put people up on pedestals. You only set them up to fail. Because there's only one thing we all have in common when it comes to this covenant of grace. That's humility. That's the only thing that qualifies any of us, period. And if there's anything good that comes out of you or anything good that comes out of me, thank God. Thank him. We have hope. We have a certainty. We have a security. We have a, a new motivation. And folks, we have peace. Let me finish with this last verse. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And this is not from Hebrews. This is Paul. But I think it's so apt in the concept of all of this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Amen? This old tent might be wearing out. And for you young folks, it will wear out. But just know that 
it's, it's, it's going in different directions. Body's wearing out, spirit and soul are growing, becoming stronger, becoming more like him. That's what he promises. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus, not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. And that's where Jesus dwells. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. A little homework for you. Psalm 73, read it this week. I don't have time to coach, no, tonight, today. But folks, this is, this is the deal. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son. That's our gospel. That's our story. What do we do with it? We believe it. We rest in it. We walk in it. We live it. See, here's the truth, folks. Theology creates doctrine. Doctrine creates application. Application creates your values and how you live. How you live and what your values, tell me what your theology is. You want to live better? Get your theology right. Because it's what feeds the beast. It is what feeds your action. So if you're, if you're suffering with fear, if you're suffering with the, the guilt, if you still struggle with shame, like these writers, if you keep having to go through the, this over and over again, go back and believe. Go back and get your theology right. Remember what it is that Jesus did for you. And remember and embrace it every day and thank him. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do this, to remind ourselves of his wonderful love, his wonderful forgiveness that we can access instantaneously anywhere, anytime. His mercies are new every morning. We can close our eyes at night in the security of knowing that if it's our last day on earth, the next face we'll see is Jesus. What do we do with such a wonderful story? We go out next Friday and tell everybody else about it, don't we? We go give them a Coke or a Sprite, and you say, that's silly, Pastor David. Uh, not so much. When everybody else is wagging a bony finger in their face, we're going to give them a cold Coke. And on it will be, why are we doing this? Just showing the love of Jesus. You know what? Isn't the gospel that simple? That seems ludicrous, but it is. <laughs> it's as simple as receiving a cold Coke from somebody. That's all it is. And on it, of course, we'll have an invitation to the upcoming series, which is going to be evangelistic. Now, so you, I want to finish with this. I'm sorry we're over time, but I want to finish with this. And that is, if you're struggling at all with the whole at the movies thing, please don't. Remember what we do here. We celebrate Jesus. We, we meet in small groups. We equip the saints, but we also have outreach. That's a major part of who we are, and we're going to get creative with it. We know they're out there watching movies. So why not bring them in here and show them a couple of clips from a movie and say, you know, isn't that interesting? You know, God said that. You know, God was the greatest storyteller of all time. He's the greatest storyteller. Where do you think most of these movies come from? Come from God. It's only about six really good plot lines. And you just watch them every single time with Avengers, Notebook, Princess Bride, Fantasy. You know what I mean? Why not use the parables to springboard the truth? Wouldn't that be cool? That's fun. We can do that. Tell them what's going on. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up this morning.